Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. today. I'm Ken Baer, pastor at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. Uh, on Wednesdays, we typically do our, our parables. Today, I have the parable of the Ten Minas, and this is from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, and this parable will probably sound somewhat familiar to you. Beginning in verse 11, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept away, put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit and reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you, that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. This parable may sound familiar to you. Uh, likely one of the reasons of the similarity is because there is another parable called the parable of the talents in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, some scholars say this is just another version of the exactly the same parable. Uh, but while the two stories are similar, there are too many material differences, including the timing of when the parables were given, um, to, to let them think that they, to, to make believe that they're the same event. Jesus taught actually both of these parables, um, and they're not the same. I'll point out some of the differences as we unpack the parable, so let's continue. You see, Jesus was traveling through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. It was early of the day on Palm Sunday, the Palm Sunday, uh, and there was talk among the crowds that when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he would be made king. He was going to establish his kingdom and defeat all the enemies, including the Romans. 
some of the apostles had picked up this as well because we know from the gospel accounts that some of the disciples had traveled before him uh, to be with the crowd um, as Jesus entered Jerusalem. So Jesus told this parable, parable in order to clarify how things were actually going to happen. Verse 12 says this, it says, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus, one per servant. And he says, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Uh, as it will become clear, this man of noble birth is none other than the Lord Jesus. After his resurrection, uh, he went to heaven to be made king of the whole earth, and his servants represent his followers. Uh, in the monetary system of the day, a denarius was about uh, a day's wage. Uh, it took 90 denarius to equal one mina. So as the servants are being given one mina, they're given an amount equal to about three months wages. A, a tidy sum. Note that each servant was given an amount equal. They all got the same. And the mina is much smaller than a talent. It's about one-seventieth a talent. So in the parables of the talent, there were three servants that received different amounts of talents. So it, again, the, the money is, is different. However, in both cases, uh, the currency that is given to the servants is, is significant. Uh, as, what, as when the Lord gives his servants, when he leaves, he gave his servants different things. They gave, he gave us talents. He gave us gifts, ministries, challenges, goals. These, these gifts are all, all, all pricely. Uh, they're all costly. They're all valuable uh, to the Lord. So we begin. The fundamental understanding is that this noble, nobleman in this, parable, in this parable is Jesus, who left this world but will return at some time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm, I'm telling you, here it is in 2020, halfway through the year, and the time has never been closer than it is now. The Jews at the time were all expecting Jesus to come once and, and stay. Uh, but actually, we know from the Gospel accounts and from historical accounts that Jesus actually came and left, but is going to return. Um, before he left, he gave us the mission to make disciples. That's our, that's our primary mission. It's, it's called the, the Great Commission. Another way to think of it, our mission is to, to sit, that we were told to occupy until he returns. The servants charged with the task represent the followers of Jesus, people like you and me. The Lord has given us all a calling. He's entrusted gifts to us, uh, the mina, and we must be faithful to serve him until Jesus returns. Upon his return, Jesus will ascertain the faithfulness of all of his own. We'll see this in a minute in the parable. Now, before he returns, there is much work that has to be done. And we're his servants. We use what God has given us for his glory. Uh, while there are promised rewards, we're just doing our duty. If you recall the, the parable of the unjust servant, uh, that's exactly what the parable of the unjust servant was, is that the unjust servant, the servant doesn't necessarily need any thanks for doing what he was told to do. Let me touch on the context again of this parable. Uh, this parable is told by Jesus while he was still in the city of Jericho. He had just had an encounter with Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a tax collector that came down from the tree in order to be with Jesus. Jesus was about to begin his final journey into Jerusalem. It was Palm Sunday, 
and thousands upon thousands of people would welcome him to the city in his triumphal entry and they would shout, Hosanna! Passover was coming soon and according to Josephus, the historian, there was likely almost two million people in the city of Jerusalem for this Passover season. As we weren't around at the time, it's difficult for us to understand the excitement of the people at that time had regarding the coming of the Messiah. Uh, it was it was it was huge. It was it was on the city streets. It was it was the water cooler gossip. It was people something that people were talking about. Notice in verse 11, it said they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. They were expecting it. It was it was just on the horizon. They thought that Jesus was about to overthrow the Roman oppressors, restore the kingdom of Israel, sit on the very throne of David, and restore the lost glory of the kingdom of Israel. But we know that Christ's true mission was entirely different from what they thought. Before Jesus would inaugurate a political kingdom on earth, he would reach and teach his followers. He, the, he would uh, teach them to reach the people of the earth, all of the people of the earth, the Gentiles. He would say that we were to make disciples of, of every nation. This means that there would be a long delay between the establishment of his political kingdom um, and Jesus would not return until what is called the fullness of the Gentiles. Let's read on, verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Now the people of the subject that were to the noblemen did not like him. So they sent a delegation to oppose the confirmation of his kingdom. It says, we do not want this man to rule over us. Well, there's actually historical reference uh, here in this parable. And it goes back to Herod the Great. You know, the Jews hated Herod the Great. Uh, this is the Herod the Great of, of Bethlehem fame, of Jesus fame, uh, because Herod the Great was a, a ruthless ruler. Historically, we're told at the end of his life, get this, Herod had the Jewish leaders rounded up with an order that at the moment of Herod's death, they would all be killed. And the reason, according to historians, was that Herod was afraid that when he died, there was going to be celebration on the streets. So in order to counteract the celebration on the streets, he had all of these leaders killed, so there would be actually mourning, as if it was mourning for Herod. What a wicked man. Um, even the people, uh, not understanding this, understood how, how, how wicked Herod was. It was such cruelty in his entire reign. Now, Herod had a son, Herod Echabus, and Herod uh, Echabus was the intended uh, successor to Herod. So when Echabus went to Rome, the Jews sent a delegation saying they would not have him, which is exactly what this parable is saying. Uh, that's Echabus to be made king. So it just so happens that when Herod Echabus was made ruler by Rome, they left the name king off of it, kind of a concession to the people of Israel. Achibus actually only lasted about 10 years and then was murdered. He was, he was, uh, he was, uh, uh, it was a political uh, murder. Uh, and it's one of the first lessons we learn here in this parable. So that's history. Let's get back to the parable. One of the first lessons we learn in this parable is this, is that Christ has the authority to rule overall. Now I know that might be unpopular with people that think that as long as you believe something you're going to be just fine, 
But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us very clearly that Jesus is the Passover lamb, was the Passover lamb, and as a result, he is the Messiah, and he is the Lord of all. You know, it's a very important lesson that we can learn from this parable. Jesus was not just the king of the Jews. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not just a local God, a local tribal God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the one true God. Jesus is telling this parable because he wanted everyone to know that his kingdom would be established. But while Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem that very day on the, a donkey, a colt, a clear representation that he was the fulfillment of prophecy and the coming Messiah, his followers were not to be mistaken that he would be establishing an earthly kingdom. For a few days after arriving in Jerusalem, Jesus would be betrayed, he would be brought before Pontius Pilate, he would be crucified. On the third day, he would rise from the dead and receive all authority in heaven and earth. And then Jesus would ascend into heaven, which is portrayed in verse 12 as the, as the far country. And there he would wait. Jesus would be patient, waiting until the time for him to return in glory with the church, to rule and reign for what the Bible says is a, a thousand years. And then, of course, after that, for all eternity. But remember this group of citizens uh, that said they would have this, not have this nobleman to be king over them, Many theologians believe that this group of citizens refers to the, to the Jews. Maybe it's an obvious reference to you as well. Actually, all of the early disciples were Jews. However, it wasn't too, too long that the church became a church primarily of Gentile believers. The majority of the Jews had refused Jesus and continue to this day to deny that Jesus was the Messiah. The Apostle Paul explains this as Israel's blindness or hardening and says this in Romans chapter 11 verse 25 for I do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in you know Paul tells us that this blindness or hardening has has come upon Israel at this present time that this blindness will continue until a time that he calls the fullness of the Gentiles. Paul then continues with an amazing statement, and this statement is actually part of the previous verse I just read. Um, it would be the same sentence, if, if, if in Greek there are actually sentences and sentence structure. Uh, it's, but the point is this, it's not an afterthought. It's part of this idea of the blindness. It says, and so all Israel will be saved, for it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. You know, at some time in the future, I'd love to unpack this more with you, but today's not the day. But I'll, we'll find a time in the future that we can talk a little bit about the idea of the church versus Israel. The age of the church. See, there is an age of the church. We're presently in the, what's called the age of, of grace. And during this time, there's, there's much work to do. Uh, we have this great commission, we have this mina that we need to be using. So this is our first understanding that Christ has authority to, to rule over all the earth. Uh, that should be our, our key understanding. Every single day as we wake up, understand that there's, there's work for us to do. In times of trouble when nations rage and people imagine a vain thing, like today, we remember that, that Christ rules. 
he rules today and permits much of what we see is going on. It's, it's part of the master plan. Our job remains the same, to, to minister in his name and to make disciples. That's our, our primary mission. So let's continue in the parable, verse 15. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. You know, it's such a simple statement in this parable, but it's so profound. It says, when he returned. You know, the body of Christ has been waiting for the return of Jesus Christ for nearly 2,000 years. Uh, it's called the, the blessed hope of the church. It's described in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 as well as in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me, let me read a part of that for you. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This return, or better described as the appearing of Christ, is something that is to, to comfort us. It's a joyous occasion. So this nobleman will now call the king because he has received his kingdom. And, and this introduced the second lesson that we learned from this parable. Lesson number two, Christians will give an account of their lives. I'll read that again. Num uh, the point number two, Christians will give an account of their lives. The scripture tells us that Jesus did not come to do his own will, but to do the will of his father that ultimately included dying on the cross. Those who are his disciples, we're told, must pick up their cross daily. Follow him, and even if that means oppression and persecution. So in this parable, we see that the servants are told to, to report, to report to this returning king. This is the first order of business when the king returns. How have they invested this most precious commodity that, they, commodity that they were given. Verse 16 continues. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, I take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You shall take charge of five cities. So, so what are they reporting? Remember, this is a parable. Uh, the mina and the cities are representatives or representing other things in the kingdom of God. Very few of us have been charged with the task of handling money uh, in the kingdom of God, particularly for, for a church. However, that's a responsibility that we should not overlook, particularly since it's the actual reading of this parable. You know, for years I, I taught people in the churches that I served in how to handle money. My background was finance and treasury. So the pastor gave me the assignment of, of teaching financial classes. I, I, for years, I taught Financial Peace University. And in Financial Peace University, you, you cut up credit cards. You get people out of debt. I probably cut up uh, over a thousand credit cards for people that were taking the class. We got a lot of people out of debt. Uh, the Bible says that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. So it was a, a good thing to get people uh, refocused instead of talking, thinking about uh, money and how much money could buy, 
and how they were going to possibly play the debt that they had gotten into, um, we, we taught them to get out of debt and to be able to focus on other things. But one of the obvious things is, is that, that when the Lord returns, He's going to provide a reward that's way out of proportion to what was actually done. Uh, the Bible says that faithfulness in small matters will always bring rewards, typically disproportionate rewards. Uh, for example, we're told that a person that gives even a, a cup of cold water uh, will receive a reward. You know, how much more would our willingness to share the gospel, uh, to actually participate in the Great Commission, uh, to, to partner with, with missionaries? Imagine what it would be like to be part of a ministry that was reaching tens of thousands of people with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but we continue. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept away, put in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit and reap what you do not sow. You know, when the master said, do business till I come, he expected them to get involved, uh, to be productive, to, to serve the master, uh, to be able to be fruitful. You know, fruitful is a word that's often used by Jesus in response to, in, in reference to doing things in the kingdom. We are to be, to be fruitful. When the master returns, he began to evaluate the results of all of the servants. The Greek word for do business is from the root word to, to walk or to set in motion, something that is set in motion or to continue in motion. As Christians waiting for Jesus to return, we are expected to use the resources that he has, given, he has given to us in order to carry out the responsibilities of the kingdom, uh, whatever they are. We are to be diligent, effective, and, and fruitful. We'll be judged on the basis of every opportunity, every responsibility that we've been given. The thing is that every disciple, every one of us, has been given gifts. You may not know it, but God has given you a specific gift. And that gift needs to be used in advance for the king, for the kingdom. You know, that's one of the things I like about the companion parable, the parable of the talents, is the word talent. Because in English, that means so much to us. It's, it's, it's all of the things that we have at our disposal. All of us have different talents, and all of them are supposed to be using our talents in order to advance the kingdom of God. All of us have talents, but we don't have all the same talents, the same capacity, or the same opportunities, but we can all serve the Lord. In this story, the ten servants received ten mina, meaning they each received one mina each. In the accounting, the judgment, when the king returns, each were held accountable for what they did with the mina that they were given to invest. Likewise, everyone who follows Jesus has been entrusted with, with gifts, which, is given, which gives us opportunities uh, to be able to serve in manners that, in ways that only we can serve. Each one of us is expected to make the most out of the various gifts that we've been given. In Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, it says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each will give an account of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians, there's a similar verse. It says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In context, it's clear that both passages refer to, to Christians, not, not unbelievers. 
The judgment seat of Christ, therefore, involves believers giving an account of themselves, of the work that they've done, both good and bad, to Christ. Note what the third servant said. The servant that hid the mina, he did nothing with it. He acted out of fear rather than duty or mission. He says, for I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. You know, by his own admission, this third servant demonstrated that he, he really didn't even know the master. His perception of the man was all wrong. And, and while he called himself a servant, he didn't even do the minimum that was required. Um, all too often, many people that call themselves Christians really have nothing to offer. Uh, they feel no calling, no change, no duty. Uh, their faith is more fire insurance rather than faith assurance. Notice the nobleman. Now the king responds to the third servant. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? that at my coming I might have collected it with interest. You know, the king didn't agree with the third servant's assessment of his character. Rather, he was saying, if you think that's the kind of person I am, reaping what I don't sow, then you should have at least made sure that the money did something good. You should have at least earned some interest. That the servant did nothing, offered nothing, accomplished nothing, was obvious and became the basis of the king's judgment against him. Let's read the next few verses and we'll finish up this parable. Verse 24, And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. You know, here we read very clearly that upon the return of Jesus, or return of this king, this king is just not happy. He rebukes the servant and told him that the money should have been put in a bank while he was gone so that it would have earned some interest. Now, the word bank in the Greek actually refers to a table, like a money changer's table, because that's the only place that, that money that was idle could be put to use and earn interest. The money was taken from him, and given to the one that had earned the ten minas. This is the end of the judgment of the servants. We said that all Christians will be judged. Some will be praised and receive rewards, and some will lose any reward that they have. The lesson we can learn from this part, lesson number three, is that Christ provides rewards in the kingdom. The third servant feared the Lord, but there is really no reason to fear. As Christians, the judgment we face is regarding what we did, but it's not about our salvation. The judgment that Christians face is referred to as the Bema seat in the Bible. This term Bema seat refers to a, to a raised platform where victors, like at an Olympic event, would receive their prizes from the judges at the end of a, of a sporting event. This parable provides some, in, some insight into the Bema seat judgment. The parable continues, verse 27, our very last verse today. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. You know, 
according to Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, all the unsaved will be judged before what's called the great white throne judgment. And all of their sins will be brought up against them. And here's, here's a key point. Just as only believers will be judged at the Christ Bema seat, only believers will be judged there, only the unsaved will be judged at the great white throne judgment. There's therefore only one possible outcome of, of every human ever living, and that's either facing the great white throne judgment or the Bema seat judgment. And what we do here on earth makes the difference. The Bible teaches that there is a, a gap, actually seven years, and the church is gathered together and appears in heaven between the two judgments. So the Bema seat judgment happens first, then there's a gap of seven years, and then you have the great white throne judgment. And we know this because, it, going back to the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, one of the early chapters of the book of Revelation, it says this. Okay, there's people that are gathered in heaven. There's multitudes of people before the throne of God. And verse 5 starts off by saying, For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God that we shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This is chapter 5 in the book of Revelation. We see everyone representing the church gathered in heaven. Then this judgment on the enemy spoken in the parable is further revealed in chapter 20, 15 chapters later. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Did, did you catch this? In the great white throne, they're judged based on their works, on their works. In the Bema Seat Judgment, we receive the Bema Seat Judgment because of faith in Jesus Christ. And then Christ gives an account to how well we served him in the kingdom. As we said earlier, there are many references between this parable and the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. In both versions, the faithful servants increase significantly their original holdings. In both stories, the bad servant does nothing. He earns nothing and is condemned and has his gift taken away and given to the faithful servant who did the most. One of the differences, however, a stark difference in the two parables, is the fate of the third servant. In the parable of the talents, the third servant is cast into outer darkness, where he experiences weeping and gnashing of teeth. While everything in the parable cannot be attributed to specific parable parallels in the kingdom of God, this weeping and gnashing of teeth is definitely more serious, much more severe, than the judgment given to the third servant in today's parable. 
as this parable of the talents ends with the judgment of the third servants, notice it, it doesn't mention the enemies. That That is part of the parable of the minus, but it's not part of the parable of the talents. So I believe that this third servant in the parable of the talents represents those who may call themselves Christians, but have never had any saving faith. They are Christians in name only. They are the same that the Lord says, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So if we're going to learn anything from this parable, let it be this. We all start off as enemies of God. That is why Jesus came. Jesus lived a, a perfect life. He submitted to the cross. He died on the cross for our, our sin. The truth is that we don't want to become Christians as if we're acquiring fire insurance. What we want is our faith to be assured. You can have confidence that Jesus is returning for you if you're a member of the body of Christ. You can have confidence that you will be with the untold number of saints that are shown in Revelations chapter 5 before the throne of God. The scriptures are clear that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God had raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So let us get to work. The hour is, is late. If you have any doubt about your salvation, if you look back over your life and you realize you've never really used your mina, you've never really used your talent, there's, there's nothing about you that is doing anything specifically for the kingdom of God, now is the time. I'm telling you, now is the time to pray, to be able to receive Christ. He'll, he'll forgive your sin, all of your sins. He'll, he'll make you a, a new creation in Christ. He'll allow you to understand that He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You'll receive forgiveness for your sins and, and you'll be part of that group in Revelation 5. If you have any questions, if you'd like to know more about this or uh, have any more information that you'd like, come to our website. It's at www.faithdialogue.org. All of our videos, all of our podcasts are there. Uh, you're welcome to take a look and peruse through them and, and receive some additional teaching. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your support as well. well uh, we love you. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, today for this parable. We, we learned...